Matthew Wireman. I wanted to welcome you to our second episode of Off the Wire podcast. And I'll get into that name here in a moment, in case you were wondering. It's not that deep of a name, honestly, but it does have a history in my life. And so I wanted to share that with you. But welcome to this second episode. And uh, if you're just joining us, please go back to episode number one. And uh, if this is your, if you already did that, please also uh, look forward and 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 uh, having you on episode and listening to episode number three. So th- this ep- second episode is I wanted to record something to be able to let you know a little bit about my story, about who I am, because um, every theology, every uh, everything that you're listening to, every podcast you listen to, every song, every every uh, novel <laughs> has a story. Not just of the novel, but of the author who wrote that novel. And so in, in a lot of ways, the, the decisions that I've made in my life, uh, that those are informed by previous histories, part of my story, just as you have a story, just as you have uh, reasons why you choose certain things and why you disdain other things. And that's all part of our story. And so you need to know who I am <laughs> in order to know what you're going to get and what is informing all that I'm saying and to also give me the benefit of the doubt as well as to also critique you know different different things that I'm going to say on this podcast and so I want to uh, give you that opportunity to get to know who I am so that then you can know where I'm coming from so to speak so uh, again my name is Matthew Wireman I was born in uh, 1978 in uh, Lima, Ohio, which is northwestern Ohio, uh, and that is the the town where Hugh Downs of 2020 <laughs> was was born as well. I only stayed there, my, fam- my family only stayed there for, for uh, six months, and then we moved to North Canton, Ohio, and I remember attending Plains Center Elementary School. I don't, I don't know if it still exists or not, but I probably would have went to McKinley High School, and I know that they were the Bulldogs because I uh, knew that football was really important, and so I wanted to play football for the McKinley High School football team. Um, I remember going to one of their football games even as young as uh, kindergarten. But then when I was eight years old, uh, mo- our family moved to southern Kentucky, um, south-central Kentucky, uh, a town called Glasgow, Kentucky, named after Glasgow, Scotland, but we pronounce it Glasgow because we are from Kentucky, and so we we pronounce it that way because we want to, uh, just in the same way that Versailles, Kentucky, is pronounced Versailles instead of Versailles. <laughs> uh, but all that to say, we moved there uh, for my father's job, and that's where I grew up. The rest of my life was in the wonderful state of Kentucky, which I am so thankful for, and I'm so thankful for the people of Glasgow. I'm so thankful for uh, the life that I was able to experience in Glasgow and uh, find that that marks me in so many ways. Uh, it's a rural town. Uh, there are, At the time I was living there, there were several large factories, uh, but the predominant uh, life that was there was an agricultural life, uh, predominantly uh, tobacco. And I remember my friends, I, I didn't live on a farm, uh, but my friends who did, they would show up to the first day of school each year with, with tobacco stains all over their hands. And uh, I've grown to be quite fond of that, of the work ethic, 
of the difficulty and the and the and the perseverance that that my friends exhibited that I quite honestly made fun of when I was a kid because I was an idiot. <laughs> but but looking back on, it, I'm like, wow, that was incredible that they worked in the tobacco fields, came to school, got out of school, went back to working in the tobacco fields, and it was a it's a beautiful testimony to to how diligently the the people of that town are. And so I am greatly indebted to to Glasgow, Kentucky. And that's where, uh, you know, I, I, was, um, I was somebody who did well in school. In fact, I found most of my identity in doing well in school because I wasn't exceptional at sports. Uh, I enjoyed sports, but I was not very good at them. Um, and I found that I, was, I would excel at sports. I mean, not, not excel at sports, so I could excel with my mind, with studies. And so I threw myself into making straight A's and into doing well in school and uh, had a lot of friends. Like I said, I, I, I love people and had a lot of friends and would cut up in class and would um, befriend a lot of different kinds of people. And uh, whether it was you know the nerds or whether it were the jocks or whether it were the, you know, the future farmers of America or the future homemakers of America, whatever it was. I loved people. I loved their stories. I loved who they were. And uh, all, all, in the, all, all during that time, uh, probably from eighth grade up to my sophomore year of high school, uh, while I was laughing, while I was joking, while I was cutting up with friends, while I was doing well in school, while I didn't have any needs that were lacking, uh, I was suicidal. I was a depressed person, and I found that uh, there was a great darkness that I couldn't get out of, and I tried to make light of it. I tried to, and, and it probably didn't probably didn't help that I, <laughs> at night I would listen to Led Zeppelin, which I still love Led Zeppelin, and I'd listen to Smashing Pumpkins, listen to Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against the Machine, Henry Rollins Band. Um, I remember, in fact, putting. Uh, uh, Pearl Jam's song Black on repeat one night and just crying myself. In fact, I would cry myself to sleep a lot. And uh, and I was just wondering. I, you know, I, I somewhat grew up going to church. I didn't go to church regularly, uh, but we went, you know, frequently. And so I was involved in the youth group, was involved in their youth singers program, which I'm greatly indebted to Todd and Lisa, who who loved me and who, who took me under their wing and for uh, for Beth and Jerry. I'm so thankful for them and in leading the, the youth group and, and loving us uh, with, with the love of Jesus. And uh, all the, through this time, I was just thinking, what in the world am I here for? Okay, I'm doing really well in school and people like me, but why am I here? And what is all this about? And I started to think, wow, there's really no rhyme or reason to what we're doing in this world. And so we just have to make good with what we've got. And so I uh, became, was an atheist for, um, for quite a while and uh, just found that I could not reconcile all the things that I saw in the world, both the good and the ugly, with the fact that there wasn't some being greater than us who was directing the affairs of the world. Who, who brought this world into being and and I find that and I, and I found that uh, I moved shifted from atheism 
to agnosticism, just saying there there is some kind of God, but I don't know who he is, and he's not really told us. There's so many different religions. How's anybody going to know? And so I'm, I just became agnostic. And I remember a friend of mine named James loved me enough to invite me to a retreat with his youth group. Now, I grew up, when we, when we went to church, I grew up Methodist, and James was a, uh, a Baptist. He went to the Baptist church in town, and he invited me to go on this retreat. And I had been struggling, and I, and I had at that time probably a smorgasbord of religion, and I found a lot of, uh, I found a lot of solace in the fact that I had my stuff together, that I, I was a decent kid. I wasn't like, you know, like I said, I was a jerk in, in, in many ways. But I was just a 13-year-old, 14-year-old kid trying to figure out the world while I was dying inside. And uh, James invited me to go to this retreat. And I said, hey, you know, will there be cute girls there? <laughs> and he said, yeah. So I went to try to meet some cute girls. And, and I remember listening to the message one of the nights. And in that message, uh, the guy who was preaching said, no matter how good you are, you will never be perfect. And God calls us to be perfect. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to be able to have a relationship with this God who's, who's revealed himself? How are you going to have a relationship with him if you are sinful and if you are rebellious against God? And I wrestled with that and I remember wrestling with that for the next couple days. And eventually I came to the realization that, yes, I was trying to earn the right to be accepted by God and, and loved by God. This, this is how I would articulate it now. Um, but, but at the time, I, I came to the, to the end of myself and I said, all of this striving is, is empty. Is a, as the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, is striving after the wind. It was all vain. It was a vanity of me trying to make myself look good for others to praise me, for others to think high of me, and to love me, and to really, at, at root, at the very base level, to love me and accept me. And it worked, but I, but, but I knew that deep down inside that I was still tired. <laughs> I was weary. I was overworked in order to be able to try to earn people's love and affection. And I remember just turning to my friend James and I was crying and I said, James, I can't do this anymore. I, I've got to change. Can you help me? And so he helped me by, helped me know how to begin praying and asking God to be Lord of my life, acknowledging my sin, repenting of my sin, putting my faith in Jesus's perfect work, and then in putting my faith in that perfect work, to trust Him to, to, to finish the work of perfection in my life. Not in this world, but in the world to come, that, that He will bring me to Himself um, through the work of His Spirit. And so I remember that, and I'm and, uh, and so grateful to James. And, and uh, James, if you're listening, I'm so thankful, and I've been trying to find you, and I can't find you. <laughs> so, if you, in some way, hear hear about this, um, and I'd love to love to hear from you. Uh, so, so that's that's how I came to know Jesus. That's that's how I came to uh, at least 
know my sin and repent of my sin. And uh, immediately I just said, okay, well, what do I need to do? I didn't, I didn't drink, smoke, have sex, or, you know, I wasn't, a, like I said, a, a, a kid that was really rebellious. I, I had my stuff together for the most part, at least what it looked like on the outside. And so I said, well, what do I need to do now? They said, well, you need to be baptized. And so, so I got, got home from the retreat and was baptized. Uh, and I think my parents were a little shocked because they were like, wait, 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 you were already christened as a baby. What's, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know. I just was told I need to be baptized. So I was baptized on, on the profession of my faith in Jesus. Uh, when we got back. And then I said to the, the uh, youth pastor, I said, well, what do I need to do now? And he says, well, you need to come to our youth group uh, this Wednesday night, and we are going to, and, I, and we want you to bring all of your secular posters and secular CDs, and we are going to have a burning. And I was like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> so we're going to have a burning of what? Like of the CDs and posters? He said, yeah, of course, we need to, we need to be holy. And I was like, well, that's, Okay, well, I'm not there yet, so I didn't. I never went back to that youth group because that was not going to bode well for for me because I had some pretty awesome CDs, <clears throat> and and I didn't really have posters. I wasn't a real big poster person, but had some awesome CDs, um, and uh, I was not going to do that. And so I didn't go back to that youth group, and I just kind of languished because I didn't really know what it meant to, to walk with Jesus and I, I was trying I was I was trying I was reading my Bible at least occasionally I didn't know how to really pray um, and so so I didn't know what to do but then we went on this retreat my senior year after my senior year of high school I went on this retreat with this retreat with my uh, youth group and the, the youth uh, singers group that I was telling you about at the Methodist Church I was at and uh, this is just a testament to how beautiful uh, that understanding of Christianity is that, that I grew up with, is that our Methodist retreat was led by two Baptists. There was no like, hey, you all don't agree with what we agree with, and so we're not going to have... No, there was just an open-armed love and acceptance. Say, oh, you all worship Jesus, that's wonderful, and, and you can communicate with our youth in a, in a effective way, and so... So we went on this retreat to Myrtle Beach, and, uh, and that was life-changing because that was, uh, you know, I was confronted with the fact that I called myself a Christian, and yet my life was no different than it was before, and the question was posed, how are you any different? And, and in fact, he read from uh, James 2 that I, I, that I read in, the, in episode number one, and he read from James 2, and, and I said, even the demons shudder. The demons know all these things. Satan knows all of these things, but he does not let it take root in his heart. Instead, he decides that he wants to rule his own life. And so I, um, I remember having another crisis of faith and wondering, Matt, you say you're a Christian. How, how are you a Christian? Have you denied Jesus with your very lifestyle? And again, it wasn't... A, a, a very uh, you know crazy rebellious type lifestyle, but it was a proud lifestyle. It was a it was a if if I had a girlfriend, which I didn't, um, but if I had a girlfriend, um, then um, how would I spend time with her? How would I how would I get to know her? Well, I'd have to I'd have to talk to her. I'd have to listen to her. I'd have to uh, get to know what 
uh, excites her and what doesn't, what what she's thankful about, what she's not, like just to know her. And so I, I, I was confronted with that fact that I didn't let that relationship with God flourish. And so... Um, and I and I got involved in a relationship uh, coming coming back from that retreat that I, I'm thankful for. Quite honestly, I learned a lot about myself and uh, and how to be a better person. And uh, and obviously there are a lot of things. I mean, I was what 17 at the time, 18, and uh, there are a lot of things I would have done differently. I was not a I was not a, a stellar person, stellar boyfriend, and so. Uh, but I, but I found that I was not developing that relationship with God like I wanted to. I was, uh, and so for that first year of college, I actually went to the University of Louisville, and went to, went there uh, to be able to go to med school. And so I was on a pre-med track, and I was in this relationship with this this wonderful, wonderful young lady, and I'm thankful again for her. Um, but she became my idol. She became my reason for existing, and that is not good <laughs> to have any kind of idols. And God is not going to have any idols in our hearts. And so, um, I, and I'm not anti-dating. So th- that's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying that this particular relationship became an idol, and uh, and I I remember that we we broke up that next year, that next summer after my freshman year. And, uh, and I remember immediately I started reading my Bible, started praying, started sharing my faith with, with people uh, because of what Jesus had done to open my eyes. And I, and, I, and I felt like I was liberated to go and tell other people of what Jesus had done for me. And so, so I went back to the University of Louisville and uh, started having more questions and issues and doubts as to okay what am I what am I supposed to do for the rest of my life <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself well if I'm 80 years old I was planning on being a heart surgeon and if I'm 80 years old will I see myself still um, still cutting people open and and working on their hearts and I just could not see myself doing that at 80 years old and granted it's pretty naive at 18 years old but I just said what what brings me the greatest joy well the what brings me the greatest joy is talking to people about Jesus, reading the Bible and teaching the Bible and praying. And, and, and I found that that's where I, what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so I summarily changed my major from biology to psychology, which I thought would help me in, in helping uh, counsel people. <laughs> and I had no idea that I was in for a dive into the deep end of the pool of of a worldview that that did not um, that, that 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 did not serve the the overarching story of God who made our soul, and so I'm not disparaging anyone. I at, at the same time I am thankful for all that I learned in the psychology program. But in my own experience, I had to learn very quickly what I believed and how to explain what I believed, and so I fell in love with apologetics. And I also changed uh, to a, um, a religious studies minor at U of L, which also was was very challenging for my faith in a lot of ways. Like, what do I really believe? And I mean, I was uh, a, a baby Christian. I was I was I was not even, uh, you know, 
out of the womb of, of, of the rebirth, and then I was already I was already confronted, having questions confronting me about the problem of, of, of pain, the problem of evil, and uh, the, the the pluralistic world in which we live in, and, and how how do you how do you reconcile that with the exclusivity exclusivity of Jesus, and. Uh, and so I, I fell in love with uh, apologetics, with particularly Josh McDowell, uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, Ravi Zacharias, um, and that whole grouping of folks. They, they helped me develop an understanding of what I believed, why I believed it. And so I, um, I started to you know, be able to talk to people about the claims of Jesus, you know, and... Uh, and particularly C.S. Lewis was really helpful in his Mere Christianity book was extremely helpful for me. Uh, Josh McDowell's More Than a Carpenter. Um, and Francis Schaeffer was really formative for me as well in those early years of being able to, to have a defense for my faith, to have a reason for my joy. And, um, and so I, so I um, continued to grow and, and got involved in Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, did and, and, and helped lead Bible studies there and, and disciple guys and that brought me so much joy and and I'm so thankful for each one of those folks that I was able to spend time with and went to Santa Cruz, California with Campus Crusade that sum, the summer after my sophomore year and then the summer after my junior year went to Slovakia and then after I graduated from UofL I went to Argentina and lived in Argentina for two years with Campus Crusade uh, probably the two most formative years in my life in a lot of ways. The culture itself in Argentina is incredible. The people are incredible in Argentina. And I have a debt of gratitude to them for teaching me how to be gracious, how to love people, how to take time with people, how to be patient with people, because they were all of those things and more towards me. Um, you know, I was a kind of a cagey Christian after graduating from college. And uh, I was very excited, excitable and excited um, to be able to, to talk to people about Jesus in Argentina. And, and my initial plan was actually to stay in South America and work with unreached people groups in, in the Andes Mountains uh, or the Amazon jungle, depending on where, where the Lord was going to lead me. But I went to Argentina with that intent because I, went, I, I read uh, through Gates of Splendor uh, about... Uh, Jim Elliott and had such an impact on my life about his ministry towards the Warani Indians, you know, the Native Americans in, in, in uh, Ecuador. And so I was, was captivated by that and I felt this and I still feel that inclination, that, that urge to, to, to see people that don't know Jesus, have never heard the name of Jesus, come to know Jesus. That's, my, that's my, my, still my, very much my passion. And so uh, I went there, but then as I was talking to different pastors in the area, telling them about our ministry, I couldn't shake the fact that I was talking to different folks, but they were saying things about the gospel and about Jesus and about God that just didn't seem right. And I didn't know exactly how to put my finger on it. And I was like, I need to get a better theological education. And so I, I uh, uh, applied to... A, and I wanted to, and I wanted to get that theological education in the context of a local church. I had already at that time I had a love for the local church. We were involved at a uh, local Baptist church in Argentina, and uh, loved the people there, and 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 was already committed to the local church at that time. Um, and so I wanted to do it in the context of a local church rather than just going to school. 
I wanted to continue to stay connected and, and, and put into practice what I was learning. And so I applied to the Bethlehem Institute in Minneapolis, Minnesota and was accepted. But during that second year in Argentina, uh, I was reconnected with a, with a young lady who I fell in love with very quickly and, and uh, moved and, and asked her if it would be all right if after Argentina if I moved to, to where she was on staff with, with Campus Crusade as well in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, and I, uh, I asked the Bethlehem Institute if I could postpone my acceptance for one year so then I could go and, and uh, develop this relationship with her with, an, with, the, uh, with the goal of potentially getting married. And so I moved to Raleigh with their blessing and fell, fell in love even more with this, this woman and uh, I'm even more in awe of this woman even today and even more so than when I first fell in love with her. And we got married and then we moved to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota where I went to the Bethlehem Institute and was there for two years. Another formative two years of my life with my, my, my bride and then we were there and I still had an idea of maybe the Lord is calling me towards back to South America, but I was uh, encouraged to, to finish out my degree uh, at Southern Seminary. So I was thinking about Gordon-Conwell, I was thinking about Westminster, I was thinking about uh, a lot of different schools and ended up going, um, ended up going uh, to Southern Seminary uh, because uh, Danny Aiken and then Russ Moore uh, both said, hey, would you all come from the Bethlehem Institute? Would you come to Southern Seminary? We'd love to have you guys. And so I, uh, I said, well, how you know, do we get credit for what we've been doing here at the Bethlehem Institute, or we got to start from zero? That was the big question. And they said, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we will, we will do some transfers of credits. And I was so thankful to that. And ended up going to Southern Seminary with about four or five other Bethlehem guys at that time. Finished up my Master of Divinity degree there. We had our first baby, uh, a young, uh, a little girl who I love so much. And I love my second daughter, my third daughter, and my fourth child, who is a son. And so all, so but but we had our first daughter there, and uh, I took off the rest of that year, and then uh, started, uh, or actually was encouraged by a, a few professors saying, Matt, if you've got enough gas in your tank, you should pursue getting a PhD. You have the gifting for that, and you should you should do that. And so I said, sure. Uh, you know what? Uh, I don't. I, I guess I have enough gas in my tank. And so I started the PhD program at Southern in systematic and biblical theology uh, that January. And, uh, and my firstborn daughter was one at that time. And then, um, and then through that, that program, I, I graduated. Uh, and, and, uh, and then, but let me rewind a little bit too. While I was at Bethlehem, I was on staff uh, that Bethlehem part-time uh, and I served the, uh, the the person Kenny who was over the church planting church campuses and that's where I got introduced to guys like Tim Keller, Steve Childers, Ed Stetzer and this whole church planting movement that I didn't really know anything about because I, I, and so I, I uh, was working with Kenny and uh, started doing this research for the for this church planning residency at Bethlehem and I fell in love with this idea and it was particularly Tim Keller's article why plant churches that just that that made it 
come from the back burner or even not even on the burner to the, to the front burner of my heart and my mind. And so I was thinking in that vein ever since the beginning uh, of being at Southern. And so um, graduated, was looking for pastorates uh, so I could learn as an associate pastor. And then I wanted to be planted by a church uh, to, to be able to be commissioned and blessed and sent out to, to plant a church. And so looked at a, a several churches and uh, uh, actually candidated at a couple. And uh, one uh, who I'm still in contact with the pastor there and so thankful for him, uh, the search committee liked me, but uh, I didn't have the uh, all the qualifications that they, that they wanted. Uh, but then the uh, second one, uh, I was actually hired by the uh, by the search committee, and then a week before the congregational vote, uh, I was notified that they didn't have money in their budget to afford my salary, and that was a shocker to say the least. <laughs> and so here I was, kind of trying to figure out. I was like, Lord, I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to 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 be a pastor of a church, and I, I keep hitting wall after wall after wall. So I really had to reevaluate and say. What am I doing? Why am I? Why have I sunk all this money in this degree, and and there's nothing to there's at this point in time there was nothing to show for it. So I applied uh, to be a church planner with another group of churches, and uh, went to uh, their their pastor's college, and then uh, went to finish up the residency in in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and it was at that time it was it was evident that uh, that I that that particular groups, group of churches was not ready to plant a church in Charlotte or in the Southeast where I felt like God was calling me to plant a church because of my, particularly my love for wanting to help people who, who call themselves Christians understand what it means to be a Christian. And that that's how it relates to my story, isn't it? Because I called myself a Christian, but I didn't know what that meant really and I didn't know what a Christian life looked like and so so there there wasn't a desire to plant a church in the southeast and so I was kind of left in a, in a dark place honestly other than when I was uh, uh, in high school when I had those bouts with suicide and depression this was the the second lowest place in my life wondering what happened <laughs> What happened? I've tried so hard to be in ministry. And so I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to be in ministry. I'm just going to be a faithful church member. And, uh, and, and God graciously opened up an opportunity at, uh, at uh, North Greenville University in Greenville, well, Greenville County, South Carolina, and Tigerville, and uh, Tigerville, South Carolina. And that's, they were starting up an online school. And, uh, and I had been teaching online already uh, for another university. And uh, they, to make a long story short, uh, I was able to, I got hired there and have been uh, working there since, building their online Christian ministries program, as well as their, uh, now their, their graduate school Christian ministry program I also oversee. And I'm so thankful for the, the for North Greenville University. It is such an amazing place to work at. The people there, the the administration is is uh, is amazing. They are a, a great group of people who have a vision for what the Christian worldview, how it applies to every facet of life, life, and uh, 
And so I'm thankful to be there. And I, I remember when I first got hired at North Greenville, I was just planning on, again, attending church and being a faithful member and, you know, being involved in a small group or something, you know, something to that effect. But then independently of each of, of them, of, of each other, uh, some friends and some acquaintances started saying, Matt, you should really consider planting a church. You have giftings of being a pastor and you can use the, the things that you are doing at, at the university to be able to bless other people. Because I'd been sharing with people, some people, my vision for, for what a church could look like uh, and you know, what are the different pieces of what a church could be. And again, all of this informed by my, by my story, right? And they independently of themselves said, um, hey, Matt, why don't you consider this? And I said, you know what? I'll, I'll pray about it. Probably not going to do it, but I'll pray about it. And over the course of about a year, a year and a half, uh, the Lord started to slowly pull me towards this idea of planting a church. And so, uh, and my wife was fully on board, and uh, she and I talked about it, and we decided to just start a Bible study. And so we started a Bible study in January of 2017. In that Bible study, had a had a a group of faithful people who loved Jesus and loved the Bible and and were also in line with this vision that I was casting for what a church could look like that that was was focused on community within itself and then community beyond itself discipleship, like truly walking with Jesus and learning and growing both in our knowledge and in our obedience to him. And then a a love for a a liturgy during the Sunday morning gathering to be able to follow uh, a clear order of worship, not something that's rigid, but something that's informed something that is, that is, you know what you're going to be getting each Sunday and and to be able to, to use a lot of the historical elements of the, uh, of the worship service throughout the centuries in the church uh, that's that's what we've adopted as as our liturgy as our as our order of service a love for mercy and missions that these two things go together that a love for uh, being able to tell people about Jesus is not divorced from relieving people's needs that those two things go hand in hand that Jesus went about preaching the gospel and healing many people with many diseases that those two things aren't uh, either or or this first then this, but they go together in a holistic understanding. And then a, a commitment to simplicity, to where we aren't just having program after program after program, where Monday through Sunday you are uh, you are doing something at at the church or with church folk, but instead you are you are free to be able to to go do ministry. I call it simplicity is the same thing as creating margin for ministry. So we believe that every person who has been uh, born again by the Spirit of God is, is empowered to go do ministry. And whatever that looks like, God pricks our heart in different ways to be able to do things that He has put us on this earth to do. And we would be remiss if we didn't submit to His Spirit and actually go out into the, the world and, and, and do the things that God has placed on our hearts. And so, so in 2017, September 2017, we we started uh, the church Christ the Redeemer, and we're we've been worshiping at our church building, uh, at our at our church building that we were able to to purchase 
in uh, December of 2018, and we've been here since, and we are so thankful to be a part of the Brandon Mill community and the Village of West Greenville area. And so we are uh, humbled. We're extremely humbled to be here, and we are we are seeking ways to to let evangelism, declaring the gospel both to ourselves as well as to others in our neighborhood and prayer, having a deep abiding love and dependence upon the Spirit of God to do only what He can do. And so we, we have those two things that we are we want to be passionate about. And again, with those those five distinctives I shared a moment ago, we, we're longing to, to let our practice inform, uh, be, uh, be informed by our teaching. And, and in a lot of ways, our teaching be informed by our practice, right? And so, so that's that's the journey that we're on as Christ the Redeemer, and and I'm so thankful again to North Greenville, be, being not just willing but excited. The president and the provost are are wonderful men who have who continue to ask me how how is the church going? That that they see these things as complementary as opposed to opposed to each other. That my ministry at Redeemer is it runs hand in hand with my my ministry at North Greenville to be able to raise up men and women who who practice what they preach <laughs> who who actually do and obey the words and teachings of Jesus and so so that's our our goal at North Greenville is to is to help people be practical in what they're studying as opposed to just being you know very uh high-minded and and disconnected from the world we want to bring ideals and thoughts on the ground so that they actually get their hands dirty and so so that's where we're at in this in this year of uh in 2000 and 2019 the end of 2019 and uh going looking into 2020 and uh i am I'm so thankful for where God has brought me, and I'm thankful for you listening to this to this story about how God redeemed me from a life that was not, uh, for all intents and purposes, on the outside not destitute, but it definitely was was empty. And I was I accomplished a lot, so to speak, and I was a quote unquote good kid. Even there, there was a there was an emptiness and a, and a void that that. I was honest with myself and wasn't trying to make jokes. When I was honest with myself, and I came to the kingdom of myself, I realized that that's where God is to be found, is when we come to the end of ourselves, we see Him ready to accept us, ready to receive us, because it's then that we realize that we can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. His name is Jesus. And He lived the perfect life that we cannot live and he rose again for our justification to say that they that whoever believes in Jesus can stand in a right relationship with God so Jesus was raised again for our justification and he will come again and he will he will set up his his reign forever and always and we look forward to that day but we we do see through strained eyes through a glass darkly as the Apostle Paul said, we, we see these, these elements of the new heavens and new earth that where righteousness dwells. We see them, but they're not yet complete. And so we wait for that, that day when the Lord will consummate his promises 
and Jesus will return. And that's the hope that we have, that we look at the world and it's broken, but it is, it is beautiful too. It's not just sheerly just all dark all the time. There are shades of darkness and there's light and, and we, can, we can hold both of those things in our hands because they're true, that God created this world beautiful. And because of our decisions, our sin, we have muddied it up. And God is in the, in the business of making it right, of bringing all things under the, under the lordship of Jesus, where he will make it all right. He will, he will take all of the bad and turn it into good. He will take all of the horrible, evil things and make them untrue. Not just make them untrue, but he will, he will actually cover them. And he will, he will make this, this new heavens and new earth a place where God's glory covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so we, we say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly to make that a reality. Thank you so much, friends, for, for listening to this. Look forward to to interacting with you. If you have questions, if you have comments, I'd love to hear from you. You can just email me at matthew at matthewireman.com and I'll be happy to interact with you there. I'm so thankful for your time and I don't take it lightly and I know that you could be listening to a hundred other things and doing a hundred other things with your time, but I thank you for the time that you took to listen to this because this really is going to shape the rest of this podcast that we're on together. That this is not just me speaking to you, but I want to hear from you and I want this to grow and for us to grow together. So many blessings to each of you that are listening and I look forward to hearing from you.